Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star-style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-788. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are. You have a plan for your life. You've set goals. You know where you want to go. Congratulations on finding Star Style. Be the star you are. Our vibrant hosts, passion, purpose, and possibility producer Cynthia Bryan and her energetic daughter, healthy living specialist Heather Brittany, share the best roads, fastest detours, and successful strategies for a life worth living. Reach your potential with their personal achievement coaching, miracle moments, inspiring guests, titillating interviews, and business bites. Be introduced to new books and innovative ideas that encourage you to live a positive, sustainable lifestyle while achieving your dreams. Ignite your power, make a difference in the world, and shoot for the stars. It's the power hour of living, loving, laughing, and learning. On Star Style, be the star you are. Lend us your ears. The party starts now. Never say never. Live your dream. Well, when you go out, do you tip fairly? Is there a student in your household that's applying for college? And would you like to find out more about the Amish? Well, all that's coming right up. Hello, Power Partners, and welcome to our informational playground. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And you're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are on the Voice America Empowerment Channel, where our goal is to seed, stimulate, and support space for positive, meaningful conversations that will get you talking around the dinner table. The Miracle Moment is brought to you by Star Style Productions, coaching students to write college essays. If you're applying to college and need a great editor or writing coach, Call 925-377-STAR or visit starstyleproductions.com to book your session. And this is by Ursula Le Guin. It is good to have an end to journey toward, but it is the journey that matters in the end. <laughs> I love all these little tongue twister things. I yeah, think I love it. <laughs> that is, that's really, really fun. Well, we have really big news this weekend is uh, our resident health specialist, Heather Brittany, is getting married. Yay! So we have been very busy preparing for this big day, the big day, and it's really been fun, hasn't it, Heather? uh, Yeah, you know, now that it's coming down to this last couple moments and it's finally feeling so real... Uh, yeah, any stresses, I guess, are gone. It's, it's, it's really fun. It's just crazy that we've planned uh, the last year. I felt like this is something that was going on every single week, and it seemed like six, you know, six months, four months, and now we are four days away, and that's just, oh, my God, it's my crazy. mind is just being blown away. <laughs> I know. It is. It's crazy, and it's been a whole year of planning, and next week on uh, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, 
we will do a wedding wrap-up so you can find out all about it. And hopefully I'll have a, a couple of pics in there for you to, uh, to see. And um, also, I just wanted to, again, say that we're, we're going to be talking about tipping today and going to restaurants. But want to make sure that you picked up a copy, if you were in L.A., of uh, what was the name of the magazine? South, South Beach Magazine. And we'll have there has a full page. Yeah, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. And she looks just so great. So anyway, so that is uh, our own Heather Brittany. So speaking, Yay. <laughs> lots of fun things going on. So speaking of that, it's America's waiters and waitresses don't get much money on a base salary. I mean, they make, you know, $2 to $8 minimum wage in most places, and they're taxed on what they get, and they have to spread it around with with um, their other servers and with the back, with the kitchen and um, and the cleanup staff, etc. So, you know, most of us have been waiters in our life. Heather and I know about this, and Heather does it now as well. So let's talk about appropriate tips and what it means to tip. So, Heather, we want some tips on tipping. <laughs> well, exactly. And, you know, I, I think... As many people know, you know, times are tough, and, and when we go out to a restaurant, if we are spending our hard-earned money, you know, we expect certain things. We want our the food that we're paying for to be good as well as the service because that is a whole thing uh, that I, I really think people need to remember. When they go out to a restaurant, um, you know, if they're upset of, oh, you know, oh, now I have to tip or there's tax, well, I always think people could stay at home and cook their own meals. By going to a restaurant, you're acknowledging um, that you'll be paying, you know, a more for portion size as well as you have to factor in the service thing. And, and that is the That's thing, a great um, point. I'm glad you brought that point up because I don't think people even think about that. You know, yeah, most people you know, think the restaurant should pay their employees. Yeah, so, you know, what kind of brought this up is in January, this coming January, uh, the IRS, you know, just getting with more taxes and more things, and probably because our economy isn't such a big thing, that they are now going to make uh, servers, when when you go to a restaurant, if you have a party, oftentimes it, it's six or more, because sometimes restaurants it's eight or more, they will add um, an instant gratuity, an auto gratuity, and it can be anywhere um, from 15 up to 25%, depending on what kind of restaurant you're in. Uh, and that's thing is an added, you know, the, the tip at the end of the night. And oftentimes, you know, people, when there's a lot of people around, you know, people, if they're splitting the check, you know, oh, here, I'll put in my credit card, I'll, I'll put in $20. Sometimes math can go wrong with things. And oftentimes, too, is uh, when a bill is split between, you know, 10 people, well, now, you know, that $400 charge or, uh, you know, because each person only has a $40 charge or what. And so oftentimes some people, they just, they tip less. And a tip can end up, ending, you know, to be very little. And I think what a lot of people, they think, you know, why servers, why, you know, if I just spent all this money on a food, you know, why should I have to tip more? And oftentimes, too, they are the messengers. They're the ones that are making sure, you know, your food is well. They're giving you the experience, a part of what you pay for. I think oftentimes, you know, people... Uh, they have a great, it, it always seems to be that you either have a terrible experience and you rave about it, or you have an amazing experience at a restaurant and you rave about it. People don't really just tell the, oh, the so-so, that's either, either, uh, end of the spectrum. 
And one thing to remember, you know, those servers, I don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant and been upset that you've ordered something and they tell you, unfortunately, we're out of that or, you know, we can't make it without butter or without meat. Or maybe you waited, you had a reservation and you waited a long time. But the chefs aren't coming out. It isn't the owners. It's the servers often that we're talking with you. And so a lot of times, you know, or, or it's really busy and you feel you, like you haven't gotten enough attention from your servers. Well, people often take that out on um, the service, the tips of that. And as we know, being in the service industry, you don't work for your hourly, you work for your tips. And I truly believe, you know, servers, uh, they're there to serve you, that they should be giving the best service possible. But as a server, um, someone who's gone through that and known what it's like to be on the other side, um, you know how many nights the reason, you know, they're not, you're not at their table being attentively is because it's understaffed and there was a big party and the top and the people are just over exhausting themselves. Um, so I always, with me, is I always try to tip uh, 20%. If, I don't think I've ever received horrible, rude service. I can definitely say sometimes I haven't received the best, but I know what it's like to be that person on the other end. And I think what's really important to remember, too, is something that especially you would understand of women that uh, have European countries in um, Australia or France, England, and we're just getting ready to venture into Tokyo soon. Um, that over there that tipping, it sometimes can be considered rude or it's just something you don't do. And the reason... Right, and that's why when people travel to these countries, you know, it's all included. And so, especially when they come back here or when foreigners come here to America, they tend not to tip because they're used to not tipping in their yeah, and home. And one thing about European country is servers there truly are, they make, here in America, they make... Um, barely slightly minimum wage and sometimes under minimum wage because uh, some people it's just that, you know, oh, you'll be making a lot of tips. And depending on where you work, you could make a lot of money in a night in tips. Uh, but what foreign countries do is they pay their servers an actual way. They make, you know, anywhere from 20 to $25 an hour, which is a compare, um, a compatible wage. And that, uh, that service isn't part of it. It's sort of like if you ever go to a place that's on commission, you know, you go to get a mattress or car, and you feel that pressure that people are on you. Well, when places, um, and you know, or even when you go shopping, when people are on a commission, sometimes they're more aggressive with you, trying to upsell you or wanting to give you more. But when a place isn't on that, there's less of an aggressiveness, and you can be more comfortable in the situation. Um, again, prices and food will be more expensive because you're you're paying for that, but it's already factored in. Um, I think, you know, personally something that, you know, happens, I think, a lot of times people don't realize if, if they're poor tippers, if they don't tip, as you said in the beginning, is um, what a server makes, you know, at the end of the night, uh, they also have to tip out to the kitchen, to the staff, and sometimes that 15% can become more like 10%. And, again, you know, every, if they have a big party, they're, everyone I think they should, they're trying to give equal attention to um, so when people low, have a low blow, not, not give um, their service money uh, or tip well, um, you know, it, it really does affect them. And oftentimes, you know, to, I think there is a certain arrogance um, that I see, you know, the best and the worst in people being on the other end is people, as is in the title of being a server, people are expecting a certain thing. And oftentimes when that's not met, uh, you know, they, they under tip or also what I see quite often is uh, 
when people go to a restaurant and they spend a lot of money, which, as we all know, you buy a bottle of wine, you have a good meal. When your meal gets very high, oftentimes people feel that entitlement of, I've already spent this much money, why should I tip additionally? Because just tipping that 15% on a bill could instantly be another $75. So I think it's one of those things, you know, it's really important to consider this, you know, like how everyone's wage and people are getting the correct amount of money. Um, no, I want to, you just were saying the 15%. I have a question because I know it probably comes up. I always think if you get really exceptional service, you want to give extra, you know? I mean, because some people go above and beyond. But what about those people, you know, the servers who give really crappy service? Should you still be tipping him, or do you want to teach him a lesson, you know? You know, for me, I really, so, you know, they have, uh, they probably, people out there have probably seen things that make the news now. We live in that culture of Yelping, of Instagram, of Facebook, where there's that instant, uh, you know, gratification when people are upset about things. And we've seen this on the news that um, people have either tipped these amazing tips that, um, someone, something was in the news that this woman, you know, it was a very low bill and someone tipped like $2,000, you know, all this amazing stuff. And then we also hear where these people, uh, where servers take pictures of the things, how people, instead of leaving a tip, they leave, um, cruel messages or they say, you know, just something, you know, negative. I think personally, no matter what, I always tip um, I always try to give 20%. If I don't give get great service, it would be 15. I've never, you know, it'd be different. I think every situation is different, but I've never had a server being straight out rude to me or offended me. Oftentimes, I think what people get offended about is that they can't have something that they want. They go to a restaurant and they say, you know, I want, um, you know, can I have, oftentimes, you know, I'll see people will order things that aren't even on the menu. And there's always, I think, very polite ways. I think you always, you know, with your customers, want to be polite and sincere and try your best to fix the issue. But sometimes that whole thing about shooting the messenger, sometimes people don't understand when we say, I, I apologize, but there's no way, you know, we're unable to make it without a certain gram, or we can't add this, or, you know, this isn't on our menu, we're unable to make it. People get upset about that, that entitlement of I want this. Um, so I think, you know, if, if, there, if you were to straight up get incredibly rude, if there was an issue, I think um, first you should take it up with a manager. But if someone just thinks, you know, it, you know, it was a rough net, they didn't get what they were expecting, I still always tip a minimum of 15%. Um, and then I, what about, you know, when somebody, a server is really terrific, what do you think about calling, asking for a manager to tell them? Does that help the server? Because I think people usually get in trouble for things, but very rarely do people stop and give a compliment. Yeah, no, I think it's all, and I think that's something too of, I think when you get, when you receive wonderful service, I think it is really important. Like one, tip well. And two, yeah, I think a great way, because oftentimes it won't, it may not get acknowledged. To, yeah, to ask to speak with a manager and then express that it's a positive thing. I think those things can always be positive. And, and a side thing, I know we're going to run out of uh, time too. Uh, in my personal, I have an experience, but I oftentimes, um, now we live in this culture with Groupons and travel zoos, which are fantastic. And oftentimes, sometimes when you buy one of those, it will have the instant, the auto gratuity into it. Uh, and that's to assure because you'll, you'll buy a, a dinner that's actually worth two hundred dollars, and you only had to pay forty dollars. And again, people even if they receive phenomenal service, oftentimes they don't tip on the service; they're tipping on what the total is. 
So um, keep in mind, if you buy one of those Groupon living social type things and your dinner, we'll just use this for example, um, you only paid $40, but what the dinner is valued at is at $200 and there's no auto gratuity. So at the end of the night, you're not going to get a bill. You might, they might have to, you might have to pay the, the tax for the evening, but always tip on what the original cost would have been. Um, cause as again, a lot of people, they're not tipping on the service, they're pit- tipping on the total cost. So just think of your server who may have given you amazing service. Now that a 200 bill is only being valued at a $40 bill. So always tip on that same thing. So we recently had this this past weekend. We went out. We had one of those travel zoos. Our bill came out to only $25, but it was appraised at $350. So we left the server a $75 tip um, because that's what they would have and what they should have, and we got phenomenal service. So always keep those things in mind. And, and really, you know, if, if again, it's a thing that tipping, you know, it's uh, a privilege, not a right, but always just remember that these people are, are working so hard, and if their tip, you know, they're not making very much, and after uh, taxes are taken out of their minimum wage, it really does come down to that 2 to $3. So they're surviving um, on your tips there. So tip well, you know, hopefully, you know, that goes the same thing, too, of serve well, too, of everyone. And then always just kind of, you know, that we've all been in those situations, too, and that we demand best service, and then we need, you know, that everyone is sort of our community sense. Um so, yeah, so any any last things regarding with you that you'd like to say about No, I was just going to say, and I know one thing that you always advocate, and I rarely have it on me, is to give cash for tips, if at all possible. Yeah, because cash, you know, I think people have this mixed view that, uh, oh, service must make so much, they just pocket so much money from tips. But we you know, we live in a plastic world. I know I like to pay for everything in credit card, but the best thing for service is that they don't have to report as much um, is to sit, uh, to, again, excuse me, to tip in cash because that way they can go home with something. Oftentimes when you tip in credit card, um, they may not be able to receive that money for another week or so since everything's cleared and then a manager will give out that check. So go ahead. Always, I'm such a big advocate of always pay for things in credit so that you have a paper trail of that. But tip in cash, that way, um, it's unreported just is with all things. It's always better sometimes to get that birthday money in cash than in credit. Well, really great segment. So everyone, just remember when you go out to eat that these servers are working really hard for you. This is their livelihood, and they're there to do a great job, and they'll do a great job if you treat them with respect, but also tip, tip well, and especially tip well for great service. Well, go ahead and give out the websites, Heather. Most definitely. We want you to go to com as well as org. And another great segment from Heather Brittany. And before we leave, I just want to share with the world that we wish you all the greatest love and happiness and the most perfect wedding ever happening this weekend. So enjoy, enjoy every single second. It's going to be phenomenal, phenomenal. And we can't wait to hear all about the rest of the story. Well, when we come back from break, we're going to talk about college applications and writing essays and some of the scams of scholarships that are out there. This is college app season, so this is very apropos. Stay with us. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And you're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas. 
at Voice America Empowerment. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Do you know how to go with your gut? Successful decision makers realize that victory is achieved by strengthening your natural instincts. Consider following these tactics. Focus on solutions. Explore alternatives. Clear your mind. Listen to your heart. Breathe. Go into action. Be proactive. And distinguish between decisions and outcomes. You have control of your actions, but not of the ultimate results. If you focus on preparing for the worst-case scenario rather than daring to see all the possibilities, you are going to gravitate toward being more reactive instead of proactive. Trust your decisions once you make them. Developing your intuitive sense is similar to learning any new skill. The more you practice, the more proficient you'll become. Your success is ultimately about the action you take based on how well you listen to your gut. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan from Star Style with another business bite. For coaching, call 925-377-STAR or visit starstyleproductions.com. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a changemaker when you dare to care by supporting Be the Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. Be the star you are.org. Get autographed copies of New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. Get inspired and motivated to be your best self with Be the Star You Are, 99 Gifts, and Be the Star You Are for Teens. Buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums. Visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925 377 STAR. 925-377-STAR 925-377-STAR Be the star you are You are the star Plug in your headphones and tune in to enlightening interviews with acclaimed authors and success experts as our Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, gabs with the gurus. Lend us your ears for the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Now, here's Cynthia Bryan. Find all you need in the light that shines. Well, thank you for staying here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The secret to every success lies not in what or even who you know, but in clearly seeing where you want to go. And here at Star Style, Be the Star You Are, we believe that you have the power to have it all, and we intend to help you get there and to keep on going once you get started. Well, we're going to be talking about college and college apps now. But first, I want to again announce that my new enhanced book, audiobook, the 14th edition of the print book, The Business of Show Business, has just been released. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Book, or in the Apple Store. And it is everything that you need to know about the entertainment industry, how to get going and stay going. I was just working on a new TV series this last Monday. And it will be airing in uh, January. But it was really exciting because I uh, portray, I was doing Tai Chi, which is something that I do in my regular life. 
and it was magnificent to get to do Tai Chi all day for a scene and actually get paid for exercising. That was that was great. And when I finally got home, I actually went and did a yoga on top of that. So I encourage you to uh, to do some kind of exercise like Tai Chi or like um, like yoga. Well, we're going to talk here about getting into college. It's a complex world of admissions, and it can totally be mind-boggling. And, you know, for years I've been offering essay con- uh, coaching to young people, and with that I offer the tools and the strategies to tackle the admissions process with confidence and success because there really is more to admissions and there are scholarship scams to avoid. So in this segment, I want to give you some of those extra tools for your application to help you be successful. And then also, as long as I have a little time, I just want to tell you how to keep away from scholarship scams. So each year, high school students, they make serious college application mistakes that are both heartbreaking and avoidable. Now, the best advice condensed into a few tips is to help you demonstrate, you know, a sincere, strong, and consistent interest with a shorter, more cohesive set of of schools. I know that when Heather applied to college, she applied to one and one only. And if you read the book, Be the Star You Are for Teens, you'll read her story in there of how she just, just kept applying until she actually got in. Whereas I see a lot of my students today applying to 20 or more schools. I think you really have to narrow it. So here we go. Balance your college list. Many students apply to many highly selective schools, and they risk rejection from all of them because the trick is to create a list that is balanced by your admission probability. I call the three college a list. Your list should include no more then two or three low probability or reach schools. Now, those are the schools that are highly competitive where many, many talented students are denied admission, but it would be great if you got in. So you're going to apply there. Next, your list should be anchored by a solid core of schools where your GPA and your test scores fall squarely within the mid-50% of applicants. So, in other words, this would give you a good chance. You you really could feel like you could get into this school. Then your list should include two or three colleges where you have a very high probability of admission. And these are colleges where your academic profile places you in the top 25% of last year's admitted applicants. And, of course, it has to be a school that you would still want to go to because what is the point of, of applying to a school that you really don't want to go to? So after you've narrowed down your colleges, you know, then you can decide how you're going to do these three lists. Now, each college on your list should be one that when you get there, you would be, like, so excited. And to get information about your admissions chances, you can go to collegedata.com and then just click on college chances. You want to apply in moderation. Colleges may improve their rankings with record-setting numbers of applications. But applying to too many colleges does not help your students, you know, at all. In fact, it's tough to write well-conceived and thoughtful applications for too many different colleges. So you got to look at the big picture. You are adding to the frenzy of college admissions by making it harder for colleges to predict who will accept offers of admission because there's so many people applying. So many colleges react to their success at recruiting record numbers of applications 
by creating longer wait lists. And nobody wants to be on a wait list. Some colleges respond by trying to assess student interest by adding more essay questions. And many ask students to list all the colleges they are applying to. Now, a smart student will build a very short college list with common threads that reflect the careful, and this is the key word, the careful research that you as a student have done to find colleges that are really a good match for you. So eight well-researched schools is a great number. In California, a student who applies to the UC system can count the UC system just once since the, the same application applies to all campuses. That's for the University of California. The next step is you want to take time to complete each application. Colleges take your applications very seriously, and that means you should too. You want to be sure to set enough time aside to complete each application absolutely to the best of your ability. Don't procrastinate. You want to do some work on your application every week throughout the fall cycle, and it helps to set up an application timeline. You know, make a spreadsheet of what you're going to do when. And then you want to get your EA and ED if you're applying early, school applications completed first, and then move on to the next set of applications, those that are due before December, for example. So the final set of applications may be completed, might be completed after winter break. So you do the first ones that are due first, and always, you know, the, the early applications, if you want early admission, that would be uh, first. You can submit your application when the application cycle opens, and there's no need to uh, wait to the last minute, and there's no benefit in waiting. This is crucial. Follow instructions. Read everything carefully, and be sure to follow instructions to the letter. If you are uncertain, use the help email or the call center to ask questions. It can take up to 24 hours for someone to respond, and sometimes the response doesn't clear up your uncertainty. So you want to leave enough time to ask another question or call the college or call center directly for assistance. And this is another reason why it's so important to have enough time because you really may need to call. After this, you have to preview and review your application. This step will ensure that you carefully constructed your written work and that it gets sent to the admissions staff the way you intended. You want to edit and re-edit. And if possible, have a coach look it over for typos, spelling, grammatical errors. You want to really ask a trusted advisor to review it just one last time because you have only one chance to that first impression. Demonstrate early interest. As you know, the really smart applicants are those who, who do not show interest early on and then apply to a college. Among students with similar credentials, the ones who demonstrate early interest are far more likely to be offered admission. There are dozens of ways to show how sincere, how strong, and how consistent your interest. So you can visit the campus, write, interview, attend college sessions at your high school, um, meet with professors at the college, go to regional presentations, but show them that you are interested. Don't try to be stealth about this and think you're going to sneak, you know, sneak in at the end. It doesn't work. If they get to know you, the chances are they might like you and you know, put you on a little earlier. Ask promptly for letters of recommendation. That's from your favorite teacher, from a coach, from a religious person, 
someone who has known you and is willing to take enough time to write a complete and thoughtful recommendation letter and in order to support you. So you want to do all of those things if you want to uh, get into college. Now, scholarships, a lot of people think they can't get into college because of scholarships, that they, there's, they don't have the money to do it. And there are a lot of great scholarships out there. But with that being said, many students use scholarships, you know, as the way to pay for college, but there are fraudsters trying to scam you and your family out of money while you're looking for ways to save money. So you want to protect yourself from scholarship scams by being aware of some of the potential signs. So don't be fooled by official-sounding sites because scam artists often pose as legitimate scholarship organizations by using official-sounding names, you know, like federal something, national something, federation. If you have any doubts about the legitimacy of a a scholarship, you should really go to uh, collegeparents.org, which is a national membership organization for college parents, and check out the scholarship organizations by making sure that it is endorsed by reputable sources. So that's a good link for you. If um, Talking about fees and guarantees. So legitimate scholarship providers don't require you to send in an application fee. So beware of a scholarship matching service that guarantees you're going to find a scholarship or it will give you money back because they won't. Once they have your credit card, that's it. The word scholarships become kind of ubiquitous with any type of aid, and it's synonymous with any form of tuition discounting. So, in other words, to fulfill the obligation, a company offering a money-back guarantee for a scholarship might just provide you with a list of of, uh, loan opportunities, which is not what you're looking for. Stay away from those free seminars and interviews because you'll get invitations in the mail to attend some of those at financial institutions. And these are just cleverly disguised sales pitches on marketing schemes. So you really have to be careful that. Anybody that says, we'll do the work for you, run as fast as you can. You're the only one that can apply to the college of your choice. If they say they do a preference first applicants, that's one way the scam artists hook you in to a scholarship that is on a first come, first say, you know, first come, first serve basis. That is never the case. Scholarships don't work like that. It goes to the most qualified. And if getting your credit card or bank account information is often just the goal of these scholarship scammers. So don't be fooled. If they call you, you know, hang up, look, go to your college counselor and ask for a list of scholarships. So if they don't have a list of previous recipients, they probably are a scam as well. So there's so much to be careful of. And then if you're really looking how to become a better writer, remember that Be The Star You Are has just launched its 10th annual essay contest. You can win dollars, radio, interviews, publications, gifts, and more. Go to StarStyleRadio.com under events and look for the essay contest. And uh, the theme this year is what it means to be an American. So it is really a great theme. Well, we're going to go to break now, and when we come back, we are going into Amish country with best-selling author Cynthia Woodsmall. Stay with me. There's more to come. My name's Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. The star you are. The star you are. 
Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Are you a teenager with lots to say but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel and join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com. You can express yourself. Be the star you are. Light up the flame Low literacy and poor communication skills have been identified in studies as major contributors to general conduct disorders, psychiatric disorders, criminal behavior, and adolescent suicide. To live and prosper in this society, we must be lifelong learners with access to knowledge and skills that can sustain our lives at work, at home, and in our communities. Be the star you are. 501c3 Charity has been working to increase literacy and improve positive message programming since 1999. You can help by making a tax-deductible donation today. Visit www.bethestarur.org. Everybody counts. www.bethestarur.org. Be the lucky star you Positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. It's the Power Hour on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Now, back to the show with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. We know you have a plan for your life. You've set goals. You know where you want to go. And there's always detours. And that's where we come in. And every week we bring you authors, experts, and books that inspire, entertain, inform, and motivate you. We want to help you ignite your power and shoot for the stars. This program is brought to the airways under Be the Star You Are Charity, a literacy charity empowering women, family, and youth. I'm Cynthia Bryan, and you're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You can make donations to Be the Star You Are. Go to bethestarur.org or btsya.org. Well, have you ever wondered how the Amish live so productively yet seem to be living in bygone years? I know I always have. Well, our answers are here today because we have New York Times best-selling author of many novels and novellas based on the Amish country lifestyle, Cindy Woodsmall. She's been featured on ABC Nightline. She's been on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. She's worked with National Geographic on a documentary about the Amish. And the books that we're talking about today are her two new ones, For Every Season and The Dawn of Christmas. Welcome, Cindy, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Cynthia. Well, I'm excited. Good name, Cindy, Cynthia. Here we go. Listen, you know, what drew you, first of all, to write about the Amish? Because you are not Amish yourself, are you? No, absolutely not. As a child, I had a good friend who was actually Amish Mennonite, considered plain Mennonite. So they weren't quite as strict as the old order Amish that I write about, but neither set of parents liked the relationship. 
And so while I was going through that from the time I was like in fourth grade until I was almost 16 years old and we were navigating their disapproval, navigating their concerns, I learned a lot about not only the plain life, but what parents expect when they have a child. They want that child to always be a part of their family unit and not step into something unusual. So it really was a lot of seeds at that time for what I would later write about. And then I, I reconnected with the old order Amish community as an adult. Well, you're talking about the different orders. Would you explain what they are, what old order Amish is and what Mennonite is? Sure. And, and one of the, um, Words that help explain, you know, when we're talking plain Mennonite means that the women wear the prayer cap and the cape dress, and they may live without electricity if they're horse and buggy Mennonite, or they may have electricity in their home, but no radios and TVs. So there's a lot of different kinds of Mennonites, all the way up to those who aren't plain and they live like you and I do, except for the the very heart of their faith. But the old order Amish live without electricity. They travel by horse and buggy. They go to school until the eighth grade, and they are taught by a person who went to school until the eighth grade, and they usually attend a one room, possibly two-room schoolhouse. So that's generally how it goes. There are some old order Amish who act, their children actually attend the local school if they, for reasons they haven't been able to get a school started, but that's very unusual. Well, how does that, if they only go to eighth grade, does this just perpetuate then the old order of Amish because they're not going to go out into the world and work for some big corporation. I mean, they don't have an education. That's a great question, Cynthia, and that is part of what helps hold the Old Order Amish community together. Um, the, the children will enter their Rumspringa, which we would consider that time of, of our children being 16, 17 years old, able to date, able to get out from, from underneath mom for a little bit. So they could go back to school during that time. But they have really strong apprenticeships in the family. And the Amish are determined to make a place for their children in their their family-owned business, whether that's a, an uncle or a father or a cousin. They will try to find what that child is particularly drawn to in the acceptable vocations for the Old Order Amish and get them apprenticed in that. So they really do make good money. They often enjoy their lives and, and the simplicity of it. Um, but there are those who could have been much more. And, and yet, if they're going to stay Old Order Amish, they must let go of that. Well, and that brings me to the first book that you, your newest novel for every season. It's Amish Finds and Orchards. This is book three in the Amish Finds and Orchards. We're speaking with Cindy Woods Small, the New York Times bestselling author, and she writes about the Amish and the Mennonite community. But in For Every Season, we have a portion of the family that has broken off to establish their own farm and their own Amish settlement. Tell us about that. How does that work? Because it, I, just from reading the book, there are so many comments in there where it's, the women are powerful or are strong, and there's comments in there about how that would have not been allowed to have been a partner with a man on, you know, in a farm. But in this new, this new development that they've created, that the women are more like equal partners. Explain that. 
You've asked some great questions. Um, and in this where in the series that I've written, Amish Vines and Orchards, in book one, you know, you have this uh, apple orchard, and everyone's working together, all the kings, to keep it established and running well, and they hit some issues and need to seek some help. And they, unfortunately for Samuel, he runs into this woman who knows all about what he needs to know, and his father's against it. And it is, if we were to go back in time, perhaps 60 or 70 years, that's what some of the women are facing. But in this contemporary setting that I put it in, because I have Amish friends who read the manuscripts and help me brainstorm the stories, we're really able to delve into some of the changes happening right now, which is where the women are beginning to reach out and want to lay hold of what they are good at. And for Rhoda, she's very, very skilled at a green thumb. And we know the Amish have always been skilled at gardening and farming. It's just but, And she's so passionate about it as well. I mean, there's nothing more that she would rather do that be in her orchards, whether it's freezing, you know, doesn't matter what it is. She just, that is her orchards, her apple orchards are her heart, and the man she loves, Jacob, doesn't quite see it. Samuel does, but doesn't quite see it, right? That's absolutely true, and, you know, a lot of Amish women feel exactly this way about their gardens and growing their gardens, and Samuel is, is you know, a part of the king's orchard, and he loves apple orcharding, and his brother, who's just about a year and a half younger than him, loves carpentry, and he doesn't want the roots that is necessary for doing an apple orchard. And part of what made this series so fun for me is my family, my husband's family, is uh, was part of an apple orchard, and they had a dad and two sons who were running the apple orchard. And how they tended their apple orchard is how the Amish would today. And I say how they did. This, the grand, our grandfather started it back in the 1920s and, and up to the 1970s. So I could speak with our uncle and get all this great research of how they handled it, which goes, relates back to how the Amish would handle it. So it's just been fun. That is very exciting. I mean, I grew up on a ranch and a farm too, and we grow, grew everything. So I'm very close to the earth, and I really, I really got into the whole of the farming. And I know that sometimes when we had frost, we had to go put out the smudge pots. Yes, yes, that was new to me. Right. So, so um, tell me then the characters that you developed for every season, uh, well, and uh, not for only, for the whole Amish and Vines orchard, Amish Vines and Orchards, did they come from stories from your friends? Uh, are they based on anybody's life? Are they amalgam of people's lives? There, I have an Amish friend who deals with something that's very uncomfortable for a lot of Christians, and the Amish faith is very much based in the Amish Christian teaching, very much so. And so for her to have an intuition that is a little eerie puts her in a really difficult place. And as she was sharing all of this with me, I began to think, what would it be like to write a story about such a person, you know, where she's just so not wanting this gift and she's not wanting to walk in it, and yet it's very obvious that she was given the gift for a reason. And she gets in more trouble by trying to run from it than she does when she finally learns how to step up to the plate and say, this is who I am. I know 
things sometimes. I have intuitions that are a little eerie and a little unusual, but it's who I am. And that's what this series is in great part about it. Wrote and that's learning. the part that intrigued me so much because it seems like that is the antithesis of what the Amish want to know. I mean, they they don't want to feel that you have that gift, but it was it was a gift. And I l- really liked it how the other characters, you know, especially how Samuel and uh, Jacob brought out the fact that it that she was given this gift, and if God didn't want her to have it, she wouldn't have it. And that was quite a journey for her to to finally get to where, oh, well, maybe it's not witchcraft, which she wasn't dealing in witchcraft, but that's how the Amish quickly view such a gift, is, is that's witchcraft Are, they're dabbling in. Is it, it a very strict uh, type of religion then? Because you intersperse it with Amish words, which I spent a couple of years living in Holland, and so many of the words look Dutch to me, although... When I read the back of your book, it says they were, it's like a, a German, but they sure have a lot of Dutch intonations in them. They do, and they, they, a lot of it's a very slang language at this point. They're Pennsylvania Dutch. Many of them can speak German, and German can, is often spoken during the worship service, which is every other Sunday in people's homes. So they have that aspect, but a lot of what you're picking up as, as feeling like Dutch is just that it's become so slang over the years, as far as what hist- we understand of the history of the language, which they call it Dutch because of the German Deutsch, which is what they were speaking. So I want to talk just a, a couple minutes about The Dawn of Christmas, which is your other book. It's in the, the um, a romance from the heart of Amish country. And it starts right off the bat with this betrayal or, a, you know, a, what appears to be a betrayal right on the eve night, which was just heartbreaking to see happen. How often does something like this happen? Because it does seem to me that they're, they obviously have very strict sexual mores and deportment. Men and women have to abide by certain rules, you know, for a long time. Talk to, talk to us about the dawn of Christmas a bit. Well, in the dawn of Christmas, of course, Sadie, as you said, is is just right before her wedding day, and her fiance, she finds him in a little storage room, you know, and her, he and her cousin are making out. And um, she realizes that he's not the man she thought, that he knows women's bodies in unusual ways for the Amish. And you're right, the Amish definitely believe in no premarital sex, and um, Sadie was walking that line, and it became very obvious to her that he was not even on the eve of their wedding. So I think it would be extremely unusual for something like that to happen. But one of the things about being Amish is, is they are just people. How they handle what happens, how they handle alcoholism or drug issues or anything else is very, very different, but they're going to have every issue we could possibly deal with. So it's so... How do most of the Amish then live without the technology? I mean, one of the things that I loved going back to for every season is that, you know, you have the character in there who is not Amish and he's doing the website and he's trying to debate whether, you know, how much he wants to get involved, etc. Do they have people that are outside of the faith that are helping them with the modern world usually? Or was this kind of unusual, this whole 
this new arrangement that was being done in Maine? Most Amish at least have a list of drivers they can call who, who can come by their house and get them because their doctors, um, their, the hospitals, the different things they need are too far for horse and buggy to travel all the time, you know. Um, so they have someone they can call on, someone who's helpful. Many of them are beginning to, uh, you know, get more and more friendships of maybe someone who can, an English person who will come in and get the laundry and help them on it. But that's still very, very unusual. You just said English person, and I wanted to bring out what you mean by that is just someone who's not Amish, right? Because I had to yeah. keep reading the book because I kept thinking, now where are the English coming from? <laughs> and then yeah. I realized, oh, Eng- an English person is someone who's not of the Amish faith. I'm so glad you caught that because I, I, with 14 books behind me, I don't even realize anymore that I'm saying words that, you know, <laughs> don't quite connect with everyone. But you're absolutely right. The, the Amish call themselves Amish, and they call anyone that's not Amish English or perhaps Mennonite or plain Mennonite. So they basically have three groups of people. Well, and... and- I do want to say to our listeners out there, we're talking with Cindy Woodsmall. She's a New York Times best-selling author of 14 novels and novellas that deal with the Amish, and we're specifically talking about for every season. And we basically just briefly touched on The Dawn of Christmas, which is a really lovely romance novel of kind of growing into trust. But um, something that is so interesting... Um, is how they have been able for all these years to maintain their own identity and their own customs and their own traditions without too much rebellion. Or is there a rebellion and we just don't hear about it? You know, there's not a lot of rebellion. Now, of course, the teenagers go through their time. That's to me, part of being human, where they want more freedoms, they want to express themselves, they want to see what's out there. But there is, you know, growing up in an Amish home is often just a beautiful way to grow up, um, where they, they get this idyllic childhood inside a warm and loving community who wants to bring them into the fold, wants to keep them in the fold. So, it, you know, abuse and meanness is very... Um, just not heard of for the most part, you know. It's, Probably is it is it is it rare or is it just non-existent? It's rare. There, there's no way it's non-existent, and there are some. Uh, they even have among the Amish community. They will have homes for men to go to if they're struggling with something, uh, perhaps uh, you know, um, drinking or uh, some drugs if they've dealt with that or if they've stolen. They have uh, ways of having other Amish couples come in and help an, another Amish couple into their home and stay if they're dealing with financial issues they shouldn't be dealing with or if they're losing their patience with their children. So they really make it a community effort to bring out the best in the person and help them be the best they think they should be. But you are right. It's very rule-oriented. They live by the Ordnung, which is basically unwritten rules at this point, but they were written at one point, and that's the rules that they all will live by that tells them how they will dress and how they will do their hair and and anything that they may, um, you know, so that they can have conformity within the community and not have competition. Well, it sounds, it really does sound like a lovely way to grow up as long as you're willing to stay within the fold. I would think that if you go outside of it, especially as an adult, it would be difficult to adjust, you know, to 
the craziness that we have here. Let's give out your web- website, Cindy, because it's fascinating. CindyWoodSmall.com, and you can pick up any of her books, see all the things that she is book we're speaking about for every season. It's the book three in Amish Vines and Orchards. And then her newest book, which will be a wonderful gift book for the Christmas season, The Dawn of Christmas. And this is a, a very sweet romance. So you'll continue writing Amish books, it sounds like? I will. I spend a lot of time with my Amish friends, and it's hard to go there and stay for a week and not come away teeming with stories that I wish I had more time to write. So I'm really wow. So we'll we'll see another fourteen or more books. Well, Cindy, we are out of time, unfortunately, but you are a delightful guest, and your books are just very fresh and innocent and sweet and kind and. They, they bring out, I think the books bring out the best in people. When you read them, you, I, I felt, you know, I would strive to be that kind of a good person. So thank you for joining us here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. This has been wonderful, Cynthia. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I am so glad that you came. Make sure to visit CindyWoodSmall.com. Again, the dawn of Christmas every season. And thank you all for being great listeners and allowing me into your life every week so that I can bring you some advice, some fun, some success from renowned authors around the globe because you can change your life and make your dreams come true. For more information about Star Style, visit StarStyleProductions.com. To make a donation to the charity that brings you this show, visit BeTheStarYouR.org or btsya.org, which is our team site. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate. So be see beyond your physical being and know that you are already a star. And read a book this week and make it the dawn of Christmas or for every season. And until next week when we celebrate once again, remember, love always wins, kindness prevails, and smiles keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan. I thank you and encourage you. Be the star you are. Have a wonderful week and shoot for the stars. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. You are the star. Be the star you are. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style. Be the star you are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to www.bethestarur.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic hosts, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany, every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are. You are.